All right, so we are on part three of our series called Vision. Okay, and I've had the privilege on week one to talk to you guys about the vision of the church. You know, uh, when we talked about the church and the big question was, why do we do church? Why do we meet up on Sundays? You know, why, why do we come together? And it's this routine of coming to church and everywhere they do it. You know, why, why do we do it? And I kind of played a quick game with you guys just to kind of get everybody thinking. And, you know, as we were naming uh, companies, I wanted you guys to name the product. We were talking like Starbucks coffee, you know, and, and uh, Rolex watches. And when I shouted out church, you know, there was a lot of answers out there. You know, Jesus and, and prayer and fellowship and all these things were coming into play. And by the way, great, great answers and why we do life. But the question was, why do we do church? Why do we gather together? And Jesus really shares this in Matthew 28. He says, he tells his disciples, and he tells us through his word, go and make disciples. He says, go and make disciples, which is the answer of why we gather together. We want to win people to Jesus, by the way, win souls, but then we want, to, we want them to grow into disciples. We want to be able to give them the tools in their hands as a church family. We want them to teach them what the word says. You know, a lot of times uh, you, you see in the Bible of, of these uh, people, in, you know, even in the Old Testament, they, they go through this struggle and this, this hardship, but a lot of times they just have a lack of knowledge, and when they realize and acknowledge who God Almighty is, God shows up. You know, I, the first thing I think about is the Israelites. You know, Moses saves them out of Egypt, and, you know, they're about to be free. They're no longer in slavery, and then as they're being pursued by the enemy, they, they, they face a body of water. I mean, think about it. Let's be in their shoes for a second. I'm pretty sure I would look at this water. I'm like, oh, great. Great. You know, it's done. I'm done. Turn around. Oh, here they come. They're on their way right now. There's water. Can you swim? I can't swim. You know, all these things are, are, are rising. All this doubt are rising. But Moses speaks to the congregation, to the people, the body of people. And then, and then he just declares the promises of God, and God makes a way. An impossible, something that was impossible becomes possible. And the water, all right, splits. And the Bible tells us that they all walked on dry ground. They all walked on dry ground. Come on. I mean, we're talking about lots and lots and lots of people, young and old. And God delivered every single one of them to the other side. And not only that, as the enemy's pursuing them, as Pharaoh and the, and the army is pursuing to kill these people, God closes the water on them. You see, I, I believe that the, the army represented fear and doubts and, and pain and past hurts, and God just washed all that away. God made something that was impossible possible because of the fact that they grew in God grew in the Lord. And we were talking about, again, winning souls and making disciples. We want people to understand that they had those promises in life. Maybe you're facing something. You have the authority of Christ Jesus to make the, the water parts in your life, and you can speak to things. It says mountains will be moved when you speak in the name of Jesus Christ. But people don't do this. The church, uh, some believers don't, don't do this because they have a lack of knowledge, and we want these people to grow in that. So we talked about that week one, about the vision of the church and why we do church. Last week, we continued on with the vision of our life. Our personal life. I mean, we took us to, I took you guys to Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, I have plans for you that has hope and has future. He says, I have a plan for you. You have a hope and you have future. And guess what? When we pursue the God's plan and his word, we start seeing this thing unfold. Now, we have plans, okay? We have things that we want to do, 
But how many of y'all know that God's plans are far more superior than ours? You know, the word tells us that his ways are not our ways. And that God would determine every step of the way as we live for him. So last week, we just encouraged everyone that there is purpose. Every single one of you guys in this world and here has a purpose in Christ. And it's revealed the moment we come to Jesus Christ. But we have to pursue him. We have to pursue his word. We have to apply his teachings. We have to understand that we have the spirit of him in us the moment we say yes to Jesus. Amen? You know, and we're going to continue on today, but if you missed any of those two um, messages, I want to encourage you guys, and maybe you don't know this, but you can go online to rlcholland.com, and you can catch all messages, and you can check out the last two weeks and catch up with us. Again, that's rlcholland.com. Now, understand, church, that this whole series is just to share hope and life to you guys so you can continue to share hope and life to others as well. I want you guys to understand that God has vision, not just for the church and for your personal lives, but think about the people around you that feel like, man, I, I don't know what I'm doing in my life. I don't, I don't know where I'm going. I have no goals. I don't know where to, what to do. Those people have hope as well, too. They just don't know it yet. And God wants your mouth, your hands, and your feet to reach them to make an impact in their whole life. Just sharing the good news, sharing the hope of Jesus Christ that he gave us, we, wanted, we want them to know and understand that as well too. You know, the Apostle John uh, says this in First uh, John 5.13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. In other words, what John is saying here is that the Bible and all God's word, when we dive into it, when we get nitty gritty and we search it like hidden treasure, it builds on our faith. We see promises and we see where God was able just to make things happen in people's lives. And when we do that, church, when you and I, we dive in, guess what? We are being equipped and we are being reminded about today and that we are more than conquerors today. And that trend happens every single day of our lives. I, you know, the other day I was talking to one of my mentors, and he, um, I love him because he just gives me it straight up. Like, for instance, he had said, all right, Jesse, how you doing, man? I'm like, I'm good, I'm good. He's like, oh, that's awesome. But for real, how are you doing? You know, and he really gets involved in my, in my marriages and, in, and with my kids and in ministry. And I'm able just to be vulnerable with him. And I love it because as he speaks, he, sometimes he doesn't realize he kind of gets off course. But he's speaking like this prophetic stuff that I'm just learning and I'm getting teachings off. And he started talking about fuel. You know, just everyday fuel, gasoline, oil, fuel, okay? And I love what he was saying to me because he was telling me a lot of times the church feels like, man, where are you, God? You know, I, 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 I've read, I read my Bible, I do this, but where have you been at? And today's been a hard day. And what reality is happening is that they're gaining, gaining their fuel. They're feeding themselves only on a Sunday and expecting God to make something happen or them to go through something miraculous on a Friday. And the thing is they're being burnt out or they're running out of gas, and I love how he said it to me. He had said, you know, when you fuel up on Sunday, that fuel is eaten up by Sunday night. You need to continue to fuel yourself up every day. It is important that we fuel up every day because that is God's vision in our lives. So I'm going to speak to some people here. And I might step on toes, and that is okay. I'm going to make it hurt, all right, on a good thing, on a good way. But here's the deal. 
if you're only being fueled on a Sunday and by Wednesday you're, you're wondering why am I still bitter, why am I this, check yourself. Are you fueling yourself on a daily basis, on a daily, everyday basis? Because God wants to give you exactly what you need for the day. I know with my car, I need to fuel up on a weekly basis. And if I don't fuel up on a weekly basis, guess what? I have a car and I have everything I need but there's no gas in it, I'm not going anywhere. That thing is just looking pretty in my driveway. It's not that pretty. It's a Honda. It's amazing, okay? <laughs> but here's what I'm saying is we need to consistently fuel our, our vehicle on a consistent basis. We need to consistently fuel ourselves <laughs> on a daily basis. Understand that God has vision. God has a purpose. And guess what? When we do that, that's called a devotional lifestyle. You know, sometimes we can minimize what devotion really is, and we think devotion is just in the morning with a cup of coffee and a donut, and we take a picture, put it on Instagram, Facebook the thing, and say, God is good. <laughs> I stepped on toes on that one, didn't I? <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, but that doesn't define devotion with God, okay? That's just a moment of fueling up. Devotion is a lifestyle. Devotion requires a consistent being with God and walking with God the way Adam did before the fall. The Bible tells us that Adam walked in the cool of the day with him. They had conversation, they had relationship, they fellowshiped with one another. That was a devotional lifestyle. We still have that today in Christ Jesus. You know, when we have a devotional lifestyle, it consists of a few things. It consists of reading our word on a, on a consistent daily basis, or even listening to the word. I know you, Virgin, on my phone. I get to pop in the hear, earbuds sometimes and hear his word. And guess what? There's a rewind button on it. <laughs> we don't use that term rewind anymore. We can just backwards it. I don't know. <laughs> but we can read his word. We can listen to his word. And we also need to do what his word tells us to do. That is a devotional lifestyle. Not only that, praising him. And worshiping him, not just on a Sunday and not just with our words, but with our actions as well, too. When we, when we praise and we give him all the worship with our words and our actions, that's a devotional lifestyle that God has for us. And most importantly, we need to continue to pray. <laughs> pray to our Heavenly Father. You know, prayer is just a simple conversation between you and God. It doesn't always require pulling out the entire list and saying, here are all my requests, God. This is what I'm expecting in Jesus' name, and then walk away. And sometimes we can treat it that way, and nothing wrong with coming with God with our requests, but that is not prayer alone. That doesn't define prayer alone. The, uh, what prayer is, it's fellowship and walking and conversating with your Heavenly Father. And conversation, church, is a two-way road. You talk, you speak, and you listen. I know there are times where, where I'm just, God would tell me, sit down and be quiet. I'm going to speak right now. And I would. That's my prayer time with him. Again, I, love, I just love looking at water and trees and hearing, cloud, hearing clouds, hearing wind, you know, seeing the clouds in the air. Like I can hear God. I, it just requires me to be quiet and listen. And sometimes we're not getting the answer we, we want to hear is because God is speaking and we're just not listening. And he's encouraging us, hey, be quiet and listen. Let me speak in your life. Let me show you my requests and my commands and my promises that follow. And when we do that, I believe we start seeing the vision of God in our entire life. Having an effective prayer life, church, is God's vision for our life. For instance, for instance um, when I think about our church family here, 
uh, I thank you guys. I know this already, but I thank you guys so much for your prayers for my wife and I. I can feel the covering. And every so often, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll get someone coming up to me and say, hey, we're praying for you guys. We know you, know you have a lot of responsibilities. And I feel, and my wife feel the covering of your guys' prayer because you are being effective in our lives that way. And we absolutely love it. But not only that, we pray for you guys constantly. We pray for the church family. We pray for people that are not here yet that we believe are going to be here soon. Those people that don't know Jesus yet, they're coming. And they're coming. And we're praying that you guys see those people and you guys will reach them and bring them in. That's what we're believing for. That's what we're praying. And I know countless times, because I've had conversations with you guys, where you would tell me, hey, I was at work, and I did this, and I spoke that, and they accepted Jesus. You know, or I was with my family, and I didn't even want to go, and it's just hard being around them. But as time went by, and as I was talking and being encouraged by his word, I spoke some truth, and guess what? Relationships are getting better now. Because God's vision for our lives is to have an effective prayer life so we can, we can have a covering over each other. You know, when I pray for my family, my household is covered. It's just how God designed it. Our words that we speak have power of life and death is what the word tells us. I'm going to speak life. I'm going to choose to speak healing in my family. For instance, I, I told you today earlier, I got four kids under the weather right now. And Madi's home right now taking care of them. That's priority in our life, by the way. Our family, our home is priority. But that does not change my prayer of healing in my home. Just because there's some fevers and some coughing and hacking, which, by the way, is disgusting, <laughs> that doesn't stop from me speaking into their lives. And this morning, right before I'm leaving, all my kids in their pajamas and, you know, they're just kind of just sitting on the couch. I said, everyone circle me. And they all just hug me and hold me. And I'm just praying, oh, in Jesus' name, this will not take its course. In Jesus' name, this will not take its course. Lord, thank you so much for toilet paper to wipe their noses. Thank you, Jesus. You know, and I'm just declaring, it does not change the prayer because I know my prayer is effective in their life. And if I don't speak that, no one else will. You have people in your life that God gave you responsibility for to speak life, to speak joy into their life. And when you do that, church, watch God intervene. Watch God do his miraculous power. That's not on you, by the way. That is not on you. If you're praying and you're believing and you're like, God, it's not working. Don't worry about that part. God says, I am working. You just can't see it. <laughs> it's simple as that. You just can't see it. Just continue to do what I called you to do and love them and pray for one another. You know, when you look at uh, in, the, in the New Testament, you have James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, okay? So you have to understand, he's in the family. He hears these teaching that Jesus is, is in the miracles. He sees all this. He's the brother, the little brother of Jesus, you know? And, and as, as, as time goes on, you know he's getting uh, um, influenced by him, you know? But not only that, James is also a pastor of a church in Jerusalem, you know, and, and James, when he pastors this big church, which, by the way, when you go into the studies of this church, it's actually one of the first churches that's established as just a lot of leadership involved. You know, you have Peter, who was really established as one of like, the first pastors, and it says that he got 3,000 saved. But James has a church that where people are already saved and living for Christ. So now he has leadership that's involved. And so here's the thing. When James speaks in the book of James, he, what he's doing is he's teaching people about faith that works. He's teaching about all this faith that works, and he wants people to understand it requires you for faith to work. It requires you to have an effective prayer life. 
You have to have that conversation with God. You have to be listening to him because that's God's vision for your life. And check out what he writes into the church and also to all of us. In the book of James chapter 5, starting at verse 15, he says this, And the prayer of faith will save the sick. Off the bat, he says, prayer of faith will save the sick. And not just in the natural, but also in a heart condition, I believe, as well, too, where, where maybe they just don't have salvation yet. And, God's, and James is teaching us here that your prayer and faith in Jesus can bring them to the family of God. And he continues on, he says, And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. Oh, man, that's, that's medicine to people that, need to, uh, that don't know that. The moment you tell them, hey, you're forgiven of what happened in the past, if you just repent and go to your Heavenly Father, that's medicine. Nothing is better than that. Forgiveness. Verse 16, confess your trespasses to one another. And check this out again, church, and pray for one another that you may be healed. I really feel like it's no coincidence that God led us to pray for one another here earlier today. I think God is lining things up. Again, that wasn't on the agenda. That was just what God was telling us to do at the moment and in the moment. You have to see that an effective prayer life is God's vision for our life. Continuing on, it says that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Avails much is what he says. Now check this out. He starts giving this illustration going to the Old Testament. He says in verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. That's three and a half years, if you guys didn't know that. Three and a half years. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. I find it so interesting that James, you, he taught something about prayer, but then he used the prophet Elijah as an example. And if you don't know this in the Old Testament, I encourage you, go to 1 Kings 17. It talks about Elijah. But when you look at Elijah, Elijah was this mighty man of God. He just was prophetic. And prophet, a prophet is not a fortune teller, by the way. A prophet is someone that hears God speaking, and they're going to deliver the message and exactly where they need to go. That's prophet. And Elijah was not ashamed to speak God's word. When Elijah heard God and God commanded him to go do something, Elijah did it. To the point where he had a disciple under him named Elisha with a S-H at the end. Elisha wanted twice the anointing that Elijah had. That's influence. That's because he saw someone that was earnest, was fervent, and had an effective prayer life. And he's like, I want twice that. Have you ever been in a buffet and you see like Something that you like, and you see people grabbing one scoop, and you're like, you're like I want two. Bump, bump. Or is that just me? <laughs> That's okay. No shame. <laughs> that, just, that was just the influence that the prophet Elijah had on Elisha. And, and James uses them as an example because he tells, he tells us this. Elijah heard God. He heard the commands of God. He would speak on God's behalf and speak directly. And tell you what, Elijah, when you go to that, that, that uh, book of the Bible, he spoke to a king, and his name was Ahab, which, by the way, was a wicked, wicked king. He married Jezebel, uh, uh, worshipped a different god named Baal that was just a dead god, and it did not acknowledge the God of Israel. This guy, this king, Ahab, uh, Ahab was a wicked, wicked man. And Elijah was told by God to go up to him, 
and say, hey, let them know there's going to be no rain in the land. And so Elijah went. Again, I'm paraphrasing that. First Kings 17, I want you guys to read that later. Okay? And I'm paraphrasing it. He went up to King Ahab and he said, no, no rain in this place until I say so. That's what he told him because God told him to say that. And Ahab thinks this guy's crazy. But months go by. And guess what happens? No rain. No rain happens. But remember what, what uh, was said earlier in James 5? It says, going back to verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. <laughs> Elijah was a man with, with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly. And I believe the reason why James used Elijah as an example of having a, a, a fervent, earnest, diligent prayer, an effective prayer life, is because we need to understand that Elijah faced the same things we faced in our lives. Elijah felt lonely sometimes. Elijah felt, felt maybe timid sometimes. But because of his effective prayer life, he still spoke and did exactly what God wanted him to do. Sometimes we think we hear God and we don't have to do anything about it. Because even though Elijah heard the voice of God, the, the Bible strictly told us that he still prayed. And we treat that sometimes. We know God says something in our life and we think we don't have to do anything about it. I heard God, I already know. No, God wants you to continue to pray. Continue to have that effective prayer life. Even if you heard God, continue to pray until God does his thing. Don't just stop in your tracks and where you're at. We need to not do that because the truth is this. When we hear the word of God in our lives and we know the direction we need to take, we continue to pray because here's what's going to happen. The enemy's going to attack and doubts are going to rise up. We need to continue to believe our God. And what he said, we need to continue to stand in faith. We need to continue to resist the devil because Elijah did that. Elijah heard what he needed to do, but he continued to earnestly pray. And ultimately was an impact to those that were around him and even of Israel. Church, I just want you guys to understand this. And when we have an earnest prayer life, that is just God's vision for your, you and for those around you. The moment we think, well, I just prayed that yesterday and I don't need to continue to stand in faith, we're missing it. We're missing it. That is not what God called us to do. He wants us to continue to do so. An earnest prayer life is God's vision because you can see this through the accounts of the Bible. For instance, when you look in the Old Testament, you'll see Daniel and the lion's dead. Pretty known story. You know, but you have Daniel and the lion's dead. Daniel prayed while he was in the den and God showed up. Daniel prayed continually to pray while he was there. Noah, building the ark, okay, knowing that rain's going to come and, and people are down. Noah prayed in the rain. Samson prayed when he couldn't see. Moses prayed in the wilderness. David, King David, prayed when he was in his sin. The apostle Paul prayed when he was locked up in prison. It didn't stop. That prayer life is God's vision for our lives. You know, no matter the circumstance, uh, this is 2006. It's my first year of Bible school. Actually, it's like my first month in Bible school. I'm just getting adapted. I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and um, it was before I was married. And I remember going to this thing to Bible school thinking, okay, I want to learn about Jesus. And I knew nothing. I'm just going to be honest. I was very young in the Lord. I didn't know what, what, how faith worked. I didn't know um, the authority of, that I had in Christ Jesus. I didn't even know my own identity in Christ. I was so young. I did, all I knew was this. I love Jesus and Jesus loves me. That was it. And I think I was singing those kid songs, you know. It, it's just how, how young I was in Christ. But I was ready to learn more. 
And I remember that first month, it was orientation, um, going into class, and, you know, there, I'm, I'm sitting with, like, 200 students that are my, my year. There's more students, but in my, my I don't want to call it grade, but in my, my year, my peers, it was, like, 200 students. And I remember this one lady, an older lady, probably in her 60s, um, she was blind. Uh, she had the cane. She, she had someone assisting her. So she would sit down. They would be with them. Um, you know, they would do their thing. And then when we leave, they would guide her out. And that whole deal, she was brand new to the city as well, too. She's just coming to Bible school. And she was sticking around. And I remember being in her class and seeing her a lot. And when we were being spoken and over and when people were teaching us the word of God and the faith and the prayer life and all that, I mean, I could see, first of all, I was getting stirred up, but this lady was getting stirred up. And she was standing up in her seat, hallelujah, and, you know, I'm excited. And we'll fast forward two years, okay, and I'll give you the in-between in a second. We fast forward two years, graduation's around the corner, all right, and I'm working. It's springtime, and I'm working in the park on campus, you know, as, as, as the grounds, you know, just cutting grass and bushes and stuff like that. And, and I see this lady two years later, okay, and she's jogging, smiling, waving at her. She waves at me like this. You know, I didn't know what to do. She could see again. She could see again. I, I, I fast forward that for a second because there's an in-between part, okay? I purposely did that. The reason why she can see again is because she had an effective prayer life. She knew, she spoke, and she prayed in faith, and she knew her healing was coming no matter the circumstance, that she could see. And I would hear her in the process of the two years, I'm going to see, I'm going to see, I'm going to see, I'm going to see, I'm going to see. And if you guys are familiar with the church that I'm at, I lived on, uh, it was Rama in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I lived on campus. It was called Student Housing. And the church building was huge, and they had this big faith shield on top. And they had this little crosswalk. They actually built this chirping noise when it said walk for her. Because so, she couldn't see at the time. It would go, cheep, cheep, cheep. It was annoying. It was, like, so annoying. But every time you hit the button and it would go to a walk, you could hear it, and it was for her. You know, and I would never say that if I'm being honest. I was like, man, that chirping, because I lived on campus. I could hear it at night sometimes when it goes off. You know, there are times where we thought it was a bird. There's a bird around here, but it was just a thing chirping. And it will let her know that she can cross. But I remember about a year into this whole journey, we're, we're about to go to class. All the students are gathered together, and she's, you know, kind of just doing her thing. And she steps in the corner, and we hit the button, and we're waiting for traffic to stop. And she goes, I can see the faith shield. I can see the faith shield. I can see the faith shield. It's, it's pretty big. It's a little dim, but I can start seeing it. Talk about the faith that she had in her prayer life. Did she stop praying knowing that she was going to see one day? No. She kept on praying because she understood God has a vision for me in my life. And in the natural, I'm going to have vision too. I'm going to see it. And we all need to understand there are blind spots in our lives that God's saying continue to pray in your life because I'm going to show up and you're going to see it one day. You're going to see it one day in your life where I'm going to intervene and you're going to have an understanding of what I'm doing so all glory goes to him. That's what he wants for our lives. Maybe it's something, you know, financially or relational, relationships. Or I, I don't know, wherever you're at, but you're like, I just don't see it. I don't even know what it's going to look like tomorrow. Continue to have an effective prayer life. And let God intervene and watch God reveal it before your eyes, just the way he wants to do it in your lives. That lady today is no longer legally blind. 
You know, and I haven't seen her since then, but I know at graduation, she walked down that aisle, she grabbed her diploma, and the baton was passed to her, and she just kept going and is still doing things for the kingdom of God because, in a, because of having a God and an effective prayer life. Understand that purpose is in everyone's life, and you need to understand you have purpose in your life, and when we understand the purpose and when we see the purpose that God has in our lives, it keeps away all discouragement. Discouragement is no longer in the category. Discouragement is no longer there because you start seeing the purpose that God has in your hands. When you look in Ephesians 2.10, Paul writes, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. In other words, God has some stuff for us to do here on earth, and it's good. He's got some stuff for you to do here on earth, and it's good. But continue with the vision of pursuing him in your prayer life. You know, that's why I encourage Growth Track. You know, we launched this thing a couple of months ago. We're in our second round right now, and we have people coming into Growth Track. But Growth Track is not only just to teach you on to know God and, and find freedom, but we want you to discover the purpose that God has put in your life what he wired you to do so you can continue to make a difference in people's lives around you. And when you have that in your life, you'll understand why you're here on earth. And it wouldn't be no longer, God, why, why am I going through this? But you're, it'll start turning into, God, what are you doing through this? Show me. Show me. Do you see the attitude adjustment? Show me. Because of the vision God has in your life. You know, the Bible, again, says that Elijah was just like us, is what I read a couple times. You know, he had issues. He had problems. He had insecurities. There, again, there are lonely moments that he felt as well, too. But understand, Elijah had passion, just like you and just like me. Ever feel like, man, I, I want to do this for God's kingdom. I want to reach these people, or however that looks. That's called passion. Or I want to I speak to kids and, I, you know, I want to teach or I want to talk to middle schoolers. And if fear starts coming, but I don't know if I can do that. You have passion, but you're facing insecurity. Elijah did the same thing. But guess what? God used him. And God used him in mighty ways. And God will use you no matter what. So don't let problems, don't let insecurities, don't let loneliness disqualify you from the truth. Because God wants you to continue to speak truth in people. And here, here's the truth for you. You're not lonely or, or you're not alone and you're not, you're, you, you didn't miss it. It's still good for you to come to God and let him be God in your life. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says this, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. I don't know about you guys, but when I read this, I qualify. I'm just saying that right now. I qualify. You know, and the question could be, God, Jesse, why, why did God say that? Or why did God, you know, speak it that way? Because where you're weak, he will show up strong is what the Bible tells us. And let me tell you something. <laughs> there are a lot of areas I have weaknesses in, but when I submit the weaknesses to him, he shows up mighty in mighty ways. Can I be a little vulnerable with you guys? I really, don't, I really struggle with believing that I'm a good communicator. I have stuttering moments. I twist up words. I get laughed at every once in a while. The story of my life. <laughs> Amen. Pastor Danny too. But you know how many times we heard, Jesse, what you said was awesome. Did you read my mail? No, I didn't read your mail. <laughs> that was God using us at the moment. My weakness is now my strength today. 
My weakness is now my strength today because it is totally God in my life. It is not me. When I'm on the platform and when I'm speaking truth, all I say is, God, I'm ready just to share your word. You have the way. I don't know what's going to happen. You have the way. I got my notes prepared, but God's saying, I got notes in your heart that you're going to speak. You know, I remember being in a speech class in high school, and, and it was the most scariest moments of my life. The one class I barely passed, by the way, because I just could not speak in front of people. Weakness. But when I gave it to God, he shows up mightily. What is your weakness right now? Think about that. What are you constantly saying, I want to do, but I'm just not going to do it because of fear and doubt comes in insecurity. I just don't have what it takes. What is that area? Because you're right, you don't have what it takes, but God has everything you need to make it happen. God has exactly what you need to make it happen. Will you give that weakness to him? Will you give that weakness to him? Maybe it's a person that has been in your heart and you want to speak to them about some things about Jesus, but you're like, ah, I don't know, I don't want to offend them. You know, they're, they're at this position, or maybe I'll wait, or God, let me pray for someone. I'll, I'll be fervent with that prayer. <laughs> and God is saying this you to do it because your weakness is going to be strength and people are going to see me not you me is what God's saying you know you look at uh, the Old Testament you look at David not King David but David when he was a boy okay little old David little weak tiny 12 year old roughly David who killed big strong Goliath big and strong Goliath Everything was against David. Circumstances was against David. His own brothers were probably betting, I got my money on Goliath over here. You know what, you in or not? <laughs> I'm not promoting that, by the way. But what I'm saying is this. Everyone in the natural saw David's dead. David's done. But not David <laughs> and not God. See, David and God, they had this thing going on. It was called communication. It was called an effective prayer life. Because David understood I have vision in my life. David understand that if I keep the communication line open between me and my Heavenly Father, I can do anything. And I mean anything. And the story goes on, obviously, where David kills Goliath. A warrior, a champion of champions is what they call him. That he's been fighting since his youth. And he's over nine feet tall. This wasn't an easy obstacle for David, but David had the Lord, and David had passion, and David had an effective prayer life. And I'm pretty sure that morning they talked about it, and God said, hey, I'm going to do something through you. Just continue it. I got your back. And I bet you that's why he walked up to Goliath and said, hey, this morning God told me this. Check this out. Down for the count because of that communication. What giants are you facing in your life that you haven't talked to God about? Or maybe that giant's there and God's been trying to talk to you, you just haven't been listening to it. And he said, hey, hey, I got some smooth stones for you to slay that thing. What is it, church? Because there's vision God has for your life. There is purpose God has for your life. David kills Goliath because he has not only God on his side, but he had that effective prayer life. He understood the vision when we have an effective prayer life, that enables the impossible to become possible in our life. When it looks impossible to you, God says, I'll make this possible, and I'll put you on my shoulders, and I will show you from my perspective, I am bigger than that little thing 
that you call an issue or a problem. I am bigger than any, all of that. But church, you need to open the lines between you and God. And no more ignoring the call. Listen, talk, give them your weaknesses, give them your fears. Let them know, hey, it's a little intimidating, God. Because let me tell you something, when you're intimate with God, nothing's intimidating on earth. But if you're not in intimacy with your Heavenly Father, most likely you're going to face things and it's going to be intimidating. Open the communication line between you and your Heavenly Father. I'll close it with this. Jesus says in Luke 18, 27, he says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. That's so comforting to know that this whole thing, this whole life has never been about me, but about you, God. And I'm just a part of this. God's vision for you is to have an effective prayer life so you can go make an impact in somebody else's life. Go ahead and close your eyes and bow your head. You know, maybe, maybe this time that we've been uh, talking, God's been really speaking and resonating in your life. And I, I want to give you an invitation, okay? And I don't want to take this lightly because all that I spoke does require you to first come to Jesus Christ. First come to him. He is the very first thing you need to do, first step in your life. He needs to abide in you while you abide in him. It has nothing to do with your past or what you're going through now or maybe some decisions you made today. It doesn't matter. God says, I will meet you right where you're at and allow me to do a work in you, but you need to say yes to Jesus. Your second invite is this. Maybe, maybe uh, you have and you've done, but intimidation, fear, doubt has been rising up. You know you want to do kingdom work. You know you, you, you want to pursue what God has for you, but it, you've really put it on the shelf because I don't know if I got what it takes. But God's saying, I got everything you need, and you want to come back, and you want to do this for God. On the count of three, those, any of those two invites, I want you to shoot your hand up. One, I want Jesus. Two, I want to live for Jesus. Three, shoot your hand up. God bless you back there, you back there. God bless you back there. Praise God. Go ahead and put your hands down. We're going to do this as a church family. And let me tell you something. You have purpose. There is a reason why you're here, and there's a reason why you're in the, the area that you're at in your life today, because God's going to use light and darkness. Let's pray together. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, I surrender. I give you my weaknesses. I give you my fears. I give you my doubts. Have a work in my heart. Make a way in me. May your spirit abide in my spirit. May I come alive today because you are the resurrection life. So Lord, with all my heart and with all my strength, I give you all of me. May your plans, may your vision be my vision because I surrender. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.